All right, what's up, everyone? Welcome once again to the podcast. Today, my conversation is with Michael Soswal. He's the COO and co-founder of Standard Cognition, an AI company based in San Francisco who are building a completely automated self-checkout system for brick and mortar retailers using machine learning and computer vision technology. If you've heard of Amazon Go and what they're trying to do, think of Standard as the sort of next step in revolutionizing retail checkout. Just imagine walking into a store, picking up whatever you want, then simply walking out. You'll then get charged automatically and get notified through your phone. Think about not having to wait in the checkout line anymore. Think about how more enjoyable your shopping experience will be. I personally think this has far reaching implications for not just retail, but other industries as well. If you're wondering how all of this works and what it means for all of us, this conversation is just for you. And remember, if you like these episodes and my conversations, don't forget to subscribe, share and like. It really helps spread the knowledge by paying it forward and ensures others can learn and be inspired as well. So with that, I hope you enjoy my conversation with Michael Soswal. All right, are you ready to roll? I think so. We'll see how it goes. I don't know. <laughs> I'm excited about uh, having this conversation. I've been trying to uh, get you or Jordan on for quite some time. I think the work that you're doing with um, with standard cognition is really interesting. And but uh, before we do that, you know, why don't you go ahead and uh, give a, a quick bio about yourself, and then we can take it from there. Sure. Uh, well, I'll go with the keyword there quick. Um, but if you want more details, I'm happy to go deeper. Uh, I grew up in Pennsylvania. Um, uh, I actually went to college for philosophy of all things, uh, but somehow ended up after that becoming a teacher uh, in Asia for seven or so years um, between Korea and Japan. Um, but that's when actually when I got into business. And so while I was teaching, I had an opportunity to open up a, uh, a private language school uh, with someone else's money. Uh, and that's, that was important because I had none. Um, and uh, that, at that point, I was doing marketing, I was doing you know, finance, and I was doing all these new things. And it made me say, to hell with teaching, I'm a business person now. Uh, and I remained teaching for a little while longer, but I got the bug and uh, moved into management, moved back to the States. Uh, and at that time, moved, started working with a Japanese tech company uh, in New York. And um, soon after that, I met Jordan, uh, who is my co-founder of Standard, but also co-founder of other companies that we've done together in the past. Um, and so that was my New York, uh, my time in New York was like seven, eight years. Um, and then we started Standard Cognition after, well, while we were working at the Securities and Exchange Commission, which is a weird juxtaposition again, but that's kind of the story of my life. Uh, so we were working together at the Securities and Exchange Commission. Uh, we started working on this concept about a year before we left uh, the commission. Uh, and we brought a bunch of our team members from there with us. Um, and that's kind of how we started the company. Four days later, literally four days later, Amazon Go was announced for the first time. Uh, and so that motivated, at first the team was very nervous about it, but that motivated us to uh, quit our jobs, go full-time, apply to Y Combinator. Uh, we got accepted, um, which was a caveat for the rest of the team. They, they said, go, go get us a million dollars and then we'll quit our jobs too. Uh, so we did. And uh, we moved out to San Francisco or Palo Alto actually um, in May of 2017. Uh, and it's kind of, it's kind of been, uh, that, that's kind of been the story ever since. It's just been a story of growth fundraising, new clients, deployments. Uh, and now we're at the cusp uh, at the end of 2020 here of scaling dramatically in 2021 and then even more dramatically in 2022. Cool. So so before we get into standard, you mentioned SEC, SEC. That, that, that's interesting. So I want to know about what you guys did at, at the SEC and how that sort of translated to I mean, if it did translate at all to what you're doing now. It did uh, a lot. And um, I'll, I'll entice you with another follow-up question after I answer this, which is it, uh, we were coming from the video game industry. Uh, and 
Jordan had went to go to the SEC, uh, and he was one of the first three or four members there that was tasked uh, by Congress to get our act together as a country and figure out how to regulate the stock market with modern AI and machine learning tools. Um, because there is just the, the sophistication at the investor level is just honestly just more sophisticated than the government. Uh, so, so they kicked Jordan off. Jordan calls me up and asked me to come uh, to, the, to the commission, uh, which was another story in itself. But I eventually agreed. And uh, I went there and Jordan ended up starting the next phase, which was his research group. Uh, and the research group task was read the most current cutting edge technologies there are in machine learning and computer vision. Uh, the rule was nothing older than a month. And we opened it up to the entire finance, finance uh, community in New York uh, on the engineering side. Um, finance is where all the engineers are in New York uh, because that's what pays the best. Uh, very different than it is here in California. Um, so uh, we opened up to all the engineers there and it was a year long process. Someone would read, a, uh, uh, someone would present a paper that was brand new and then also propose an implementation of that research. Uh, so none, none of this was was fully academia uh, yet. It was it was really cutting edge stuff, and uh, that led to okay. Well, if we were to productize some of this, what would we do? And that's kind of where Jordan and I really took the lead and started defining uh, retail as the premier premier market to go to, and then uh, it evolved from there. But but the founding team was seven people, um, and five of us were were from the commission. That's that's really cool, and I like how, you know, you just don't know where these things might lead. Where you're dealing with, you know, SEC, Wall Street, and then all of a sudden you're on the West Coast dealing with an entirely different industry, but at the same time share a common denominator, which is you know AI, and you know, and I, I think I want to go down AI a little bit more in the conversation about the implications it has on the wider context of uh, tech and, and all of that stuff in general. But for now, you know, you mentioned Amazon Go at the beginning. I think obviously Amazon are a behemoth at the moment. And, you know, the Go part of that is maybe a lot of people don't know what it is. Uh, maybe some people in this area are well acquainted with what Amazon Go is and what standard is. But do you want to just quickly shed some light on what the entire concept of what standard cognition is trying to do right now? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, the way we talk about it when we speak uh, to the larger community who has an interest in this is uh, a, a few ways, but but largely, especially for the retailers, uh, to think of it as the new interface of retail. Um, and so, yes, we're doing checkout. Uh, checkout is one part of the myriad of systems involved in a retailer. Uh, and it's, it's far more complicated than I knew going into it four or five years ago. Uh, it's a complicated, very dynamic industry. And um, the, there's a lot of players involved from the POS to the inventory management, to the CSM, to the EDI software, which just does the automated ordering for a retailer. Uh, and all these systems um, are all operated and, and maintained by different groups. And what we're trying to do for the retailer is have them imagine how all of these things can come together and give them a lot more uh, influence of how they run their stores and have a clear understanding of what's going on. Uh, but, but you need that unique product uh, to do it. Um, and for us, it's computer vision inside of your store and uh, that ties into all of those systems I just mentioned. And it also makes the consumer experience uh, the most exciting it can be. And, and that, that plays out in the retail market. When, when retailers reach out asking us to, to help them out, the number one thing universally uh, around the world uh, that retailers ask for is a unique customer experience. Um, and that surprised me at first. I, the first thing I thought was they're going to say, "How do you cut my costs?" Um, and it's not that wasn't the that wasn't it. Um, but as you talk to them more about how they're thinking about experiences and how they're thinking about people coming into spaces, it's it's apparent that retailers get it. 
Uh, retail is not going away. It's not the retail apocalypse. Retail is changing dramatically. And how they change with it and how they adapt to it is going to decide whether or not, uh, not only do they survive, but can they really uh, leverage these changes to make them an even bigger company? Uh, and that's that's generally the uh, the outlook these retailers have when they reach out to us. They're very open-minded. Uh, they're, they're thinking about how to make customers and spaces more friendly and, uh, and uh, uh, exciting to be a part of. So it's not just about how to compete with your store, uh, the, the store down the street from you. Uh, it's also how to compete with delivery, curbside, um, uh, and, and all of the new e-commerce things that are coming out. Um, and, and while we see a decline in market share for brick and mortar, we actually see more stores opening year over year. Um, 2020 might be the exception. The numbers aren't out yet, you know, uh, but, but up until now, that has been the case. It, 2018, 2019, more stores exist in the world than have ever before. Um, and e-commerce is growing. It just happens that e-commerce is growing really fast because it's brand new. Um, you know, if you open up a store down the street today, you can say you took market share from Walmart. Um, it doesn't mean Walmart's in threat of going out of business. So I, it feels like, you know, this this trend is still an ongoing thing, obviously with the exception of 2020, but you definitely there is a, um, a growing trend of trying to establish storefronts so that, as you mentioned, provide that unique experience. And this is really interesting because I know that I've walked into an Amazon Go store before, you know, the one in San Francisco. And it's really an interesting experience as you sort of go through, you know, walk the aisles um, and, you know, grab what you want and then leave, right? So, you know, for the people who are listening to this who may be living in another country or who aren't really familiar with Amazon Go, I, I guess the premise of at least what Standard is trying to do and Amazon and maybe other few competitors out there is really trying to provide an experience for customers that allow you to enter a store, um, have a uh, have the ability to peruse the aisles, to uh, get what you want, um, choose you know at will, and not have to worry about lining up at the cashier or the checkout, and then simply walk out, right? And that's really one application of what this might entail. I'm sure with the power of AI and machine learning, there'll be a swath of other applications out there, but at least for now, is that what Stan is trying to focus on? Yeah, that's that's right. Um, you know, there's two ways to win uh, in this market. And one of them is giving the retailer the things they need, uh, you know, better line of sight to what their inventory count is, um, decreasing, uh, a cart abandonment or, or as some retailers call it bulk. So you're in line with products, but then you say to hell with this, I'm, I'm leaving, uh, the line's too long. Um, or just to help them with misplaced items, reducing staff, etc. cetera. Uh, but the, the way to get retailers to pay for this uh, and, and the, the brands as well is to go to the consumer and appeal to the larger court, uh, which is the people. Uh, for what what they're looking for, and, and you you hit it exactly right, Barry. It's it's not that the consumer side isn't rocket science. It's it's pretty simple. You want a, a better experience when you go to the store, and that doesn't always mean just you leave the store faster. I mean, for a lot of people, that's the case, but um, for a lot of people, it's about enjoying the shopping and then not doing the crappy part, uh, which is waiting in a line. Uh, and now in a in a post COVID world, touching services handing products back and forth between other people, standing very close to other people, having long lines go outside of your door uh, because social distancing is making people stand so far apart that lines are going down the block. This just makes people not want to go in. Uh, so how can we fix all of that for the consumer um, and just make it a great experience and also give them some other benefits, some maybe uh, some some coupons or some promotions that we can automatically give them by by using the system and the way that happens is we standards is getting tons of inbound from brands and payment companies etc that just want to be a part of this uh get get insight into how it works and they're willing to give consumers free things just to work uh with the retailers and us to to, to bring this to market and so the consumers are really going to make out 
as this comes to fruition over the next couple of years. Yeah, and I can imagine like, you know, I, I was mentioning this to my fiance just an hour ago about who I was going to speak to. And then she didn't understand about the idea. But when I explained it to her, I mean, that's really cool. Like she was like, I just want to visit. I just want to experience the idea because I think we're all grown up having this monotonous experience and very dreary experience of having to wait at the checkout line, especially in holiday rushes like Thanksgiving. And, you know, just imagine what it would be like if you were able to just pick up pick up a turkey from the store, whatever you want, and just walk out. And I think that's such a unique and so different to what uh, we do right now as a as a society. But at the same time, I feel like you know how how is this really going to to be um, accepted by the general population? I mean, the way we have it now, I mean, it's very antiquated. You know, you line up. Maybe you might have automated checkout where you don't have necessarily someone there. You have your credit card or your phone to pay. But don't you think that's enough? I mean, is there a real need for this technology? And and is it transforming in the sense that it's able to revolutionize the way that you and myself buy groceries? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, there's a lot to unpack there. But I'll start with some of that, and then you can just redirect me as, as we go here. Um, but I, I think for the self-checkout kiosk, for example, uh, there, there's value there, but the stores are still employing people to manage the self-checkout kiosks. So it's not like you're just waiting in line and you're doing more work yourself um, and you're still scanning every item uh, and, and uh, the lines get long and more than half the people in the supermarkets are in line. And so you can just imagine the congestion freeing up because uh, there's there's no one waiting for anything anymore. Uh, and I, I think the experience will be that much more calming um, and th- that much more desires is to go into a space. You know, I, I, I fly a lot and I'm always running to meetings and things. Uh, so maybe this affects me more than others. But once I started this company uh, and I was walking down the street, I, I, I just started to realize how often I don't buy stuff when I actually want to. Uh, and, it, and it didn't occur to me, even though I was making the company, I was in the process of doing it until I was actually walking down the street as part as a the COO of Standard Cognition and thinking, oh, I'd like a bottle of water. I'll just wait until I get home. Like how many times a day I was actually doing that shocked me. Uh, and I and I just did it subconsciously. I, I didn't think about it before. But now I now obviously I do just because it's my life. So I do think it has a big impact on people. And uh, the where it really has the bigger impact, though, uh, and the reason why it's going to become the standard uh, across all retail is because of all of the other systems on the back end uh, for the retailer uh, uh, that it takes the place of and how it simplifies all those systems. What, what, how many, an, an example, I, I was talking to a, a supermarket uh, in, in New Jersey. Um, they have several hundred stores there. And they spend millions of dollars a year, uh, pretty close to around $10 million just for their New Jersey stores, uh, to count things on the shelf. They they literally send people in with a clipboard and say, count it. Uh, And they do that once or twice a year. And those audits are really expensive, whereas now they just have that 24-7 knowledge at their fingertips at any time they want. That's a big difference. Um, And it's, it's more accurate as well. Um, the people counting turns out to be pretty inaccurate. It's like 70% or something. Um, so it's, it's not it's not a good system. Um, and, and I think that's what these retailers are most eager about, about how it affects the back-end operation of their systems. And it's a cool thing to get people into the store to experience. Uh, what, one other thing that it, it impacts uh, uh, that I briefly touched on is people abandoning cart. Um, so uh, Home Depot a few years ago, well, more than a few years ago at this point, probably five, six, seven years ago, changed from one POS system to another POS system, which cost tens of millions of dollars to switch everything out. But they did it purely to save uh, a line uh, wait time of 20%. 20% wait time was worth that tens of millions of dollars to them because they measure the line in, in length of time and then multiply that by a dollar amount. And that's how much money they project they're losing per, per second. 
Um, and that's crazy to me. Uh, but when you start looking at it, at those economics, this technology is here to stay. And in fact, it's not just retail. Uh, computer vision, obviously, everyone's familiar with autonomous driving. Um, these are just two industries, I think, that vision is going to take over. Uh, to me, it's on the scale of the internet, uh, of how it's going to change the world. And think about it. If you're teaching computers to see the world like a human does and make decisions about it like a human does, you can get rid of all of the banal activities humans need to do, taking money, doing accounting, all the back-end work, and you can make humans do the job humans are exceptionally good at, which is forming relationships, upselling to clients that they recognize because now they have more time to engage with them, to do uh, picking uh, and packing for uh, curbside delivery um, and, and generating more revenue out of the staff you have um, and, and having them be better humans and, and engaging with your customers rather than having them focus on going at a million miles an hour flipping a burger, taking an order, and taking someone else's money at the same time. And they're not very nice when they're doing it for good reason. It's a, it's a horrible place to be. Yeah, I, I think that's a really good point you make. And I uh, I like the way you sort of phrased the way that, you know, AI at its core is really a utility and something that you can use to uh, automate and really uh, relinquish the sort of benign work that people are now doing and then free them up to do more creative, more passionate work um, that they're designed to do. And I feel like that is not just happening in, you know, whether it be in autonomous cars, uh, but it's happening in other aspects of industry like, um, you know, even like YouTube and, and all that other stuff is being automated a lot. You know, people are focusing on creating the content and a lot of the automation and the editing process. I mean, that still takes a bit of creativity to it, but a lot of the, uh, you know, the, the backend stuff is really taken care of by. Yeah, serving up suggestions and things like that can be done on the, on the backend. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, I totally agree with you, Barry. Totally agree with you. I, I think it's just a matter of, well, we, we have this tagline, rehumanizing retail. Uh, and it's bringing our image, for, for me, the, the perfect ideal store for this would be a store that was designed like an old world European market or something, uh, where you just have one person running the entire store. And it's just like, hey, how's it going? And they're just having a conversation and someone's picking stuff up and leaving. And it's all okay. It's like en enabling that old world relationship feel, which probably didn't really exist in real life, but we romanticize it, uh, and bringing it to life via technology. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a funny uh, play with how technology hides technology. And, and another, another thing we say is removing the machines from between people. And that's a reference to conveyor belts and cash registers and scan guns. Like we don't need that between people. Let's let people interact with people. Um, and Uber is a good example of this. Um, uh, to your point about autonomous driving, this isn't autonomous driving yet. It's just drivers driving you. But what's very interesting to me is how it impacted the industry. When you, when, you know, I was in New York before, as I said, uh, so I took a lot of yellow cabs in my day and it's a horrible experience. You know, you get into the cab, first you got to explain where you're going and uh, they're like, where is that? And you got to like give directions as you're going. Uh, it's, there's this dirty piece of plastic between you and the driver. There's this screen blaring in your face and you can't turn it off. Uh, it's just ad after ad after ad. Um, and you get out of the, like the, the car ride stops, you, you're in there for another two minutes paying, running credit cards. You're just, you just want to get the hell out of the car. Uh, and the driver wasn't very friendly. You, you get out of the car and you're like, oh, I'm glad that's done. Uber came along and, and flipped that on its end. Uh, now you just get into the car. They know your name. They know exactly where you're going. It's on a map. And now it's a conversation. How are, how are you doing today? What do you do? Uh, and maybe, you know, granted, sometimes I'm not always in the mood for a conversation, but the option is there and it's always polite and it's friendly. And when I get out of the car, I'm smiling and I say, have a nice day. And I just walk away. How different is that experience? There's still a driver there. But we got rid of all the robot crap of taking money, giving the directions, 
uh, explaining, you know, I'm in a hurry or whatever, all of that goes out the window and it's just a peer driving you to where you're going. Uh, and the relationship is massively improved by getting rid of all that other stuff. It's a, it's an interesting um, anecdote you provided there. And I think it points to a lot of the social commentary that is happening with society right now, where we're trying to go back, as you said, to the old world, where we're trying to optimize a lot of the transactions we make with each other. And we don't want to spend time focusing on the insignificance of, you know, taking out your credit card, at least in the context of standard, you know, taking your wallet out and having to put into a machine or give it to someone. And then sort of that transaction is done and you walk away. But really now I feel like people want convenience. They wanted to have like this now, now, now um, mentality of wanting their their stuff now, which is uh, completely acceptable. At the same time, it sounds like people also want to uh, focus on doing other things that provide value to their lives. And that might be spending time with their family, maybe engaging in a very uh, an, a lighthearted conversation um, with people actually working there who are not focused on being the cashier, but really welcoming the presence of you in those stores and making it feel like you know, you're not, it's not a chore to be in a store and going and doing your grocery shopping, but an experience. And, you know, I think that will completely in, it, in and of itself try to flip the mentality of a lot of people where every Saturday or Sunday they'll have to go to their Costco and do the run. But now they're going to be looking forward to it because they know how simplified and how easy it's going to be. They're, at least there's something to look forward to, to know that I have my goods and then I can have a good time doing that. Yeah, that's my hope, Barry. I, I really, what I really want to happen is, re- I, I, I slightly touched on it in the beginning, but I really want retailers to, yes, adopt the technology and, and go at the pace that they're comfortable at. But I'm, I'm eager for after this technology gets more and more, just assumed it's it, in the marketplace. We're going to see retailers dramatically changing what that user experience is. Like, why have doors? Um, why? Like before, it was to it was to control the flow of traffic. It was easier to guard against theft. Um, it's easier to know, you know, ha- track people. Um, but yeah, you can have open walls on all four sides. Um, that could be a really fun marketplace. Um, and and it, you you get to. I, I don't want people to spend less time in stores, although that will happen at, at some level. Um, I, I just want them to go there and think, oh, I wonder what they have this week. Like I wonder what they added. I, I don't. I don't want them to think about the traffic and the parking, and then in the store experience. Just, just you, you should be able to live and and engage with people as people. And I, and I think a lot of the the frustrations that you see in a store. I mean, I'm I'm an angry shopper. I, I got to admit it. Um, I I lose my patience pretty easy, and so I'd love to remove all of that from the equation. And it would be just a much more enjoyable experience in general, just like the Uber experience did for taxis. I think that's coming everywhere. Yeah, no, I love it. I love it. And and this sort of brings me to sort of the technology aspect now because I know the, the way that the work that you guys are doing focuses extremely heavily on the uh, machine learning, the AI, the, the computer vision aspect of that. From what you can tell, uh, sort of explain, can you sort of describe how does standard cognition work just from a high level, and then you know, how does that compare with like what Amazon Go does? Is it different? Is it similar? Are you taking a different angle than Amazon? What makes your technology so unique? Sure, sure. I'll, I'll talk about that second part first, and then I'll, I'll talk more about how it works in general. Um, there's a big difference between the way we approach the solution. We approach the solution with thinking how, what is going to be required of us in order to convince a retailer not to try it, but to scale through their entire fleet. I'm not worried about them trying it. They'll, they'll all try it. Um, what, I, what I want them to do is be convinced that this is something that's scalable and beneficial to their entire fleet. And so there was a few design implementations that make us stand apart uh, from the customer experience side. And w- one of those is we don't require an app to be used. Now we, we have an app uh, and it's our preferred happy path as we call it uh, for the consumer. 
but not everyone's downloaded the app and not everyone wants to use their phone. Maybe they're on vacation and they're conserving their battery. Maybe they left their phone on their desk and they're just going out for lunch. Um, I, I don't know, but they, I, I do know that 50% of convenience store transactions in the US are cash based. Um, so we're, we're not about to say to all those people, you can no longer shop at these stores. Like that's just not gonna happen and the retailers will never stand for it. Um, so, so there are no gates at our doors to, to the stores we work with. Uh, you don't have to show you're a member before you can enter, like, like an Amazon Go experience. Uh, another big difference for us is uh, one, one of my first startups um, was a distribution company. And so I, I have some idea about how products get onto shelves. And um, I, I know that there is no retailer in the world that's going to do what Amazon does uh, and, and sell air. So if you go to an Amazon Go store, it's, it's, it's fun, uh, but from a retailer's perspective, it's a horrible store. Uh, and this is because you see empty spots on the shelf. And where that empty spot is, it says, sorry, out of stock, coming back soon or whatever. And the reason they, uh, a retailer hates that is in a real retail environment, they'll just put stuff, something there. And, and the, the phrase is, we don't sell air, right? Like we, like we got to sell products. And so there's always something on the shelf on every square inch of it. Um, and so you, you, the reason Amazon does that is because they're programming their shelf for specific products. Uh, and that means you cannot put another product there until you reprogram the shelf. Uh, and so for us, we realized shelf sensors would not get us into a fleet-wide uh, contract to, to scale to an entire store. We had to do cameras overhead only. So there, there's no hardware in the store for determining what someone's doing other than the cameras on the ceiling. So it's not very unlike a uh, security company, just security cameras on the ceiling, but we operate the, all of the machine vision, all, all of it is run through computer vision and it's all, it's all based through those cameras. And so we've developed a lot of, of our own technologies. Um, most of it uh, is our own technologies and we had to do that uh, because uh, no one else was doing computer vision only in the, in the industry at the time. Uh, so that's a, that's a big difference for us. And that gets us around a lot of the problems with the retailers, uh, the marketing department, the branding department, the customer experience, the, 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 the merchandising teams all have been working for decades and in some cases centuries for some of these retailers of knowing what and where to put something in order to make sales. And if you try to interfere with that, you're not going to scale. Um, so it, we, we went out at the outset with the retailer is the boss while we're trying to create a system that, that lowers friction for the consumer. We also need to make a system that lowers friction for the retailer. And we can't impose all of these new rules on them about what they can and can't do. Uh, so that's from an experiential side differentiator for us. That's, that's that from how the tech works. Really all of the tech uh, from the, from the 30,000 foot level uh, for all of these companies face the same challenges. The, there's really three buckets of problems you need to solve. The first bucket is understanding who is who. Uh, and for us, we do this uh, with a, a privacy in mind. We don't use any facial recognition. We're not identifying individuals. We're just, we're just saying that they're separate entities. Um, and so, we actually call this part of the process entity cohesion. And so it's understanding that a person moving through the space is the same per person throughout their entire shopping journey. And we do that simply by following the kinetic motion of, of that person. So as they move, it's kind of like, it's kind of like if you have a, no, the cameras are fixed, the cameras don't move, but it's kind of like if you have uh, some food and you have a, a pet dog uh, and you move your hand to the left, the dog's head moves to the left. Uh, and vice versa, like wherever you put your hand, the dog is going to know where that food is. Kind of the same technique. Uh, we always know where the person is as they move through the space. I don't know that it's, it's Barry. I just know that it's a person who's there. And that allows us to do things like twins that are dressed identically the same. Like we don't care because we're not identifying that individual from that perspective. And so we, knowing who a person is as they move through the space is uh, the first problem to solve. And we do this without biometric data. Uh, and I think we're the only ones uh, that do it that way. Um, the second bucket of problems you need to solve is what is what? Um, so 
what are all the items in the store? Um, what's a bag of Doritos? What's a bag of potato chips? What's a pack of cinnamon gum? What's a pack of spearmint gum? Um, and understanding all of those things. Now, and we break that down further into other uh, multiple categories. Um, one is what's changing over time on the shelf. And we, we subtract all the people out of it. Just any piece of any item on the shelf that moves at all, even you know, a, a half a centimeter or so, shows up on, hey, something moved here. Uh, did the count change? Was there a timestamp with someone picking it up? Um, and we correlate it to other signals. Uh, and that, that helps us tell us what someone has. Uh, we also look at where in the store something's coming from and whether or not there are misplaced items in that area of the store. That reduces the number of items we need to determine uh, it, the, the product came from. And so instead of understanding one of 3,000 items, we only need to understand of one of 300 items. Uh, and that makes it much easier. Uh, and then really high level, the third piece of item classification is just what are you holding in your hand? And that's, that's potentially uh, the, one of the most important parts of the system because it allows us to do things like handoffs, misplaced items, uh, and we don't need to rely on the planogram of the store. Um, finally, uh, to tie it all together, we need to know who has what. And that might seem obvious. Like if I see Barry with a bottle of water, shouldn't I just charge Barry for a bottle of water? No, actually. What if you walked into the store carrying that bottle of water? Um, I don't want to charge you for something you brought into the store or you pull it out of your backpack. Understanding the context of where these items are coming from is equally important uh, to the other two categories. Um, and, and all together, once you do all three of them, then you have a complete system. And so whenever you hear someone saying, oh, our tracking accuracy is this, or our inventory accuracy is that, um, that means they haven't finished the problem yet. <laughs> you need to solve all of it. And the only thing that matters, what is your accuracy endpoint? So. So from what you just described, you know, I'm just, I'm trying to um, see this in my head and sort of paint a picture here because, you know, I'm, I, I envision myself walking into the store and I can just, you know, roam around, look at what I want, probably have like a trolley with me. And I don't really do anything from that point onward. It's like, I don't, there's no interaction that I make with anyone in that store. It's just me and myself. And I'm going to go ahead and grab some shampoo I'll grab a bottle of water, maybe some snacks off the shelf, and then I think I'm done. And then from that point, you know, that entire experience of me walking into the door is already started, I guess, that tracking and that monitoring has already taken place. So they see someone, they don't know who it is specifically, but they see an individual who has come in and who has started to collect items off the shelves. And then once they've collected items, that the computer vision and all the software running behind it can identify what those items were. It could be a bag of chips, a bottle of water. It will sort of record um, all of those things. And then, as you said, in the happy path, you know, I, I go on my merry way. I walk out the door and I put them in my bag and then I'm, uh, and then I, off I go. So is that sort of the... That's, that's exactly it. And in fact, you might decide to eat the candy bar while you're in the store. And that's fine. Like, why not? Um, yeah, it's, that's exactly right. And if you're paying with cash, then it stays completely anonymous the entire time. The only time when we need to know uh, how, uh, how to charge you is when you're using the app. And we don't need to know your payment details. Uh, we do it much like Apple Pay does, uh, token and key scenario. We go through the store's POS system. So it's just like swiping your credit card at the cashier. Uh, we don't know your payment information. We just make an association to that device to send the token uh, uh, off to the payment company to unlock. Um, so that that's absolutely right. That is, that is the experience. So it seems like you know you mentioned that this is extremely very orthogonal to the way Amazon Go is doing things, where they've sort of integrated their I don't know maybe their inventory technology that they have in their warehouses and they're putting that into the store, right? But that means that they're is quite a, a rework, an overhaul of the way the retailers do it, right? So it seems to me like the the angle you're taking here is exclusively using these cameras to really focus on that technology framework. 
and being able to develop software, machine learning software, and all the backend stuff in the cloud that really takes care of monitoring, tracking, inventory, um, all the credit card, um, all of that stuff is taken care of uh, in in the backend. So, sort of like I want to understand now because because AI plays plays a huge part in this. You know, what has been your roadmap like for developing the AI technology? I know you've been around for since 2017, and AI, as far as I know, has just taken off exponentially. There's an abundance of it. And every day or every month, every week, there are always new uh, technology uh, changes made to AI, new ways uh, to do things, more optimal ways, um, especially new hardware coming from NVIDIA and, and so on and so forth. You know, what has been the challenges for you, but also just your your dealings with AI? I mean, have you had to really keep up with the technology over these past couple of years? Yeah, that's a... Yeah, it's hard because uh, it is changing and evolving so quickly. Um, but mostly it's evolving from the academic research that's been done and being implemented in new ways. And so, uh, yeah, I mean, you're right. There's new technology uh, in machine learning and, and AI constantly. Um, and we, we continue to hire talent constantly to try to keep up with it. Um, and that's that's generally the way we do it. Uh, you know, I, I'm not really an engineer at all, uh, but I do try to keep up tabs on on all the things that are being built um, and and what what our roadmaps are. And that's and that's a difficult thing to to track because some of it depends on hardware, right? For us, we depend on cameras, um, and the cameras are evolving. Uh, and what kind of applications can we use on those cameras that haven't come out yet? Uh, so there, there's this, there is some unknowns here. Um, the, the big thing that we need to do uh, to secure our future is to make sure that we're bringing in the right data to build the right models uh, so that we can apply those over across any hardware suites that, that come around um, and understanding that uh, this is an innovative change to a retailer. Uh, it doesn't have to stay, we, we don't need to have the most cutting edge AI in, in five years from now to run these stores. We need the most cutting edge AI right now because that's what's required to get into these stores and, and make the technology work. Um, but in time, uh, we can get more to a regular sort of updating uh, cadence of every two years or every three years, we update uh, some features or update the models. Uh, and that's okay. The, the, the most important thing is getting to market with a solution that doesn't break or fail ever. Um, and, and once you accomplish that, it doesn't necessarily matter that it's the most cutting edge or not. If you're in the stores and it's running, it's going to be cheaper for the stores to work with that rather than moving to something else. The only reason they would move to something else if it was so innovative that it revolutionizes how they do retail. And that's what they're doing now with computer vision. That's why they're looking to change from a laser gun to uh, computer vision, because uh, it does offer that much more resolution into the operations of their of, of retail. You um, that you mentioned those four aspects of getting it right, and you know, reaching from one to four is like reaching a mountaintop. You know, there's always these incremental challenges that you have to solve and there's always um you know really minute things but most very important things to get you into the right direction where, where would where would you see standard right now in the context of those four requirements uh so well uh, i don't even remember what four requirements are. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was just like the, the being able to have that end-to-end -end experience and so where do you think where do you think a standard ai is there, like, have you solved it all, or are you still in that process? Yeah, so solved it all, no, right? Uh, because that's we focus on the CPG market uh, at first because a bag of Doritos in a convenience store is the bag of Doritos in a supermarket, uh, and there's a lot of crossover of those kinds of items. Uh, and the brands are exciting partners to work with, and they have a lot of desire to understand how people are shopping for their items uh, over years. Um, in the apparel business, we haven't tackled it yet. We can do some apparel, but we haven't tackled it as a whole segment yet. I mean, how you work with dressing rooms and how you work with sales associates, 
changes the game quite a lot from the way retail is done at a grocery store. Um, and so we have to tackle the edge cases of one segment or another uh, before moving on to the next. And, and so we have a lot of room to grow yet. Uh, we're focused really on the small format convenience and micro market, now drug stores and, and also supermarkets. Uh, and we'll stay in that world for a year or two longer before branching out. Uh, that said, uh, the technology has reached an inflection point um, in the last couple months, uh, last one or two months. Uh, we feel our technology is ready to be deployed at scale now. Uh, we just got there. Uh, it, it wasn't always the case. Uh, we, we launched our first store, uh, which was our own store, in 2018 in August, so a little over two years ago. And that, we thought, at that time, we thought, oh, we're six months away from deploying this all over the place. And we already had clients signed up. It took us another year and a half. And it wasn't the technology side that was the challenge. It was integrating into the operations of a retailer. When, when, you, when it's your own store, you control how it gets stocked, when it gets stocked, what gets stocked, uh, who's managing it, who's running the store. I need to close the store for an hour. You control all of it. When you're in a client space, crazy things happen. Uh, and I'm, I'm happy to tell an anecdote or two uh, on, some, on some of those. Uh, but from, from our perspective, um, starting January, uh, we see we see the world as uh, starting to scale, and so we 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 intend of having more stores than all of our other competitors combined, including Amazon Go, by the end of next year. Wow, wow, that's uh, that's quite ambitious, and I feel like, you know, definitely you might not have everything solved right now and every piece of that puzzle might not be uh, ready to go, but it sounds like you are at a point where you have a baseline to work with. And then from there, once you start to, and correct me if I'm wrong, you know, you start to deploy the technology, you can reinforce that and you learn from those experiences and then you continue to train those models over time. But you need to be in a real environment, it sounds like. You want to be in a situation where you don't have your own store per se, but you deploy... I know in a safe way or Trader Joe's or something like that, where you can actually see these edge cases come to life and then you can deal with them, right? 100%. Um, yeah, it's, 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 it's an it's a order of magnitude more difficult to operate in a client site than it is your own site. Uh, that's for sure. Um, the, the uh, yeah, I mean, that, that, that's what this boils down to. Um, and we did that. We went through that process over this last year and a half of, building a backend system that can support thousands of stores rather than just having engineers watching dashboards and making sure the system wasn't falling over. That's not scalable. You can make a store work um, and it looks like, oh, they've got it, but don't ask me to do three of these things. Um, and, and so like that's the, you need to move from being able to make a store work to being able to make a fleet of stores work. And, and there is a scaling uh, challenge in, inherent in that. Um, and I think we've we've more or less tackled the the big the long pole in the tent, and we're ready to do it. Yes, we will learn more, but we're ready. It sounds like you know that's one of the the big challenges that you guys are willing to to face because scalability is everything. I su I suppose because you know if you can scale with your product and your service, um, there's nothing stopping you because now you're able to grow and expand, not just to a specific city or geographic location, but you can deploy your technology quite seamlessly, you know, uh, to several clients around the world if they if they're willing to accept your technology, and that's a really um, eye-opening thing because now, especially when it comes to machine learning, it sounds like you know you can use that data as new data points, right, to really reinforce the stuff that you're doing. Absolutely. And that's so important. Um, you know, as the more retailers we do and the more days and more hours that we're open, the stronger the system gets. Um, and it helps all the other stores that we do after that uh, for that retailer and other retailers. Um, and it also just makes it more easy for them to operate. And that's that's our goal there. But 100 percent, just getting out there into the real world and into the wild. Uh, allows us to just learn that much faster. So it's about saying, it's about stretching yourselves in the right way. And certainly you can overstretch 
Uh, we've been guilty of that in the past. Um, but we, we also see others being more guilty of that and, and losing entire contracts because they overpromise on something. And so there is a balance to be had there between setting your sights high uh, and, and also being achievable. Are there any other, other big operational challenges that you're facing right now besides the scalability part? What do you see as something that can be overcome at some point, but something that needs to be addressed as, as you begin to scale? Yeah, so all, the, all of it's around scaling problems for us at this point. Um, so an, an example of that is uh, being able to have more stores monitored on simpler and lightweight systems, uh, having uh, fewer engineers per number of stores uh, working to support them. Um, and so it's all, it's, it's a lot of that. And then there's the integration sides. Uh, that's okay. If, I'm, if you're going to push me for one, Barry, I'm going to say it's integrations. Uh, so, you, you know, you have in, in the retail world, the POS system, I keep on talking about it. It's, it's because it's, it's like the CPU of a computer. It's the, it's the central node that everything else attaches to. Um, and that's how they that's how they run their all their other software systems run through the POS, um, the payment gateways, the processors, the the customer uh, success metrics, are all everything is going through there. Um, and so, integrating with that does take a little bit of time. And every retailer, so you can have two retailers that buy the same version of the same software, but then they add all of their custom components onto it. And now the same APIs that you would use to integrate no longer work even for that same system. And so uh, that can take three months a shot to do, um, sometimes more depending on the complexity of the retailer. Getting that down to a week is, is something we need to be able to do. And, and if I may, that's a call out to any company that thinks they can solve that. Uh, problem of, of easily integrating with other retailers, um, we would be your first customer. <laughs> and that, I, I guess that speaks to a lot of the, the things with regards to not just scale, but economies of scale as well, where you're not just trying to expand and quick, and grow quickly and reach out to many as many clients as you can and deploy your technology, but it also speaks to like reducing costs as well and also reducing the hardware running inside your cameras and running them um, in a sort of optimized way, right? Do you want to just quickly speak to the your thoughts on where do you see the roadmap of this type of technology? I think things are getting cheaper every day and you have this sort of more law effect uh, where you know the compute power is also doubling. Um, you can do more calculations and, and all of these things um, in an instant. And now you have computing at the edge, which is on the camera, instead of having it to send it all the way to the cloud. What are your thoughts all around that? Yeah, I mean, I, everything you're pointing out here is definitely the future. Um, I, I, our goal, um, we're, we're certainly not here yet, but our goal is to be able to put a bunch of boxes, sorry, a bunch of cameras in a box, send it over to the retailer and say, put them up and you're good to go. That's where we're headed. Um, uh, it's not there yet. There's a lot of calibration that we need to do, which we need to get rid of. Again, these are all scaling problems, uh, but it's, it's, it's moving that direction. There's a, there's a more of a line of sight to that end goal now than there ever has been since starting the company. And, and these big companies, uh, camera makers, um, uh, POS makers, security companies, all of these uh, GPU especially are all asking companies like us and autonomous driving companies, what kind of hardware should we be building for you? Uh, what is it that you want? Uh, we'll, we'll build that because that's where the market's going. Um, so I, I, think, I think that's where it's going from that side. One thing I would like to, uh, uh, a personal aspiration of mine, uh, which isn't necessarily the same as a company goal, uh, but is, is certainly something that we've all talked about as founders uh, since the beginning of the company is, is one element of the future where we're allowing craftsmen to open up stores on their own. And what, it's kind of like what ET did for the internet, making individual craftspeople be able to have a marketplace 
to sell the things that they make or the things that they create or, or, what, or whatever might be the case, you know, a, a small production company uh, or just an individual, make it easy for them to set up shop. Uh, I, I, I like those, like, yes, we're servicing large retail chains right now, but I, I have a vision where, um, you know, I like to do woodworking on the side. That's kind of my hobby. I would love to be able to to have a storefront, put some cameras on my ceiling and sell all my woodworking stuff. And I don't even have to talk to customers. I can just be there working on my projects. Someone walks in, I'm like, hey, how's it going? Help yourself. They grab something, they walk out. Uh, and, and to allow that to happen, that kind of interface for commerce um, really changes the dynamic of who can be a store owner. And, um, really makes it that much simpler for these, for these individuals to be more tradesmen and, and, and salespeople at the same time. Uh, that, that's, that's one goal for sure, certain for the future. The other would be uh, servicing food deserts, which is a, an aspiration that we've all talked about since the beginning. A, a food desert, if you don't know, is a, a place where stores are unwilling to open up because of danger. Uh, there's, there's crime there. Um, or it's, it's just not a lucrative part of town. And, and this is a big problem. Uh, I, this is something that's not well known, but it's, it's, you're more likely to get shot as a convenience store worker than as a police officer. Uh, and that's shocking. Uh, and so we, we want to be able to service communities and, and not have people worry about getting robbed because now the money's not even there. Uh, or there's no access to the money because it's behind gates and walls and machines. Um, and no one, no one risks getting killed and, and stores are willing to open up shop in the areas where, uh, they normally wouldn't because they don't have to worry about, uh, you know, people, uh, their, their people getting hurt. Um, so that, those are two aspirations we have for the future. It sounds like there's definitely, uh, you know, there's definitely was some per personal aspirations behind that. And, you know, I, I wanted to sort of dig deeper about how you got into, um, you know, Standard, you mentioned at the beginning that you've worked with Jordan and, and what have you, but was there anything particularly about this technology that uh, gr you gravitated? Um, well, there's a couple things. Well, one is my kind of uh, crazy ideas about the far further future in 30, 40 years from now um, with people having their own personal AIs negotiate for them with the retailers, with businesses as they walk down the street. Uh, hey, Starbucks wants to know that you're walking past here. Can I tell them that? You know, then your AI, without you, you just set your parameters, your AI says, well, it's going to cost you this much money uh, for every time I pass by the store if you want to know about it. Uh, and all of that can be negotiated and people can make money just by living their lives in support of these, uh, being supported by these businesses. Um, and, and that's from a computer vision perspective. Uh, having cameras in, in smart cities and having our own personal assistants negotiate and, and work for us as we move around these places uh, is a dream of mine. Um, but uh, what really got me excited about the company wasn't necessarily the, only the technology. I got excited by the business opportunity. Um, and the business opportunity is when people tell me I can't do something uh, is what makes me really want to do it. Like, like uncontrollable, stupid urge to do something just because someone says I can't, um, and that that was uh, that happened in the in this sector uh, when uh, I was looking at all of the retail tech startups in the world. It's a very rich community, actually, but then you look on the backside. There's not much retail tech hitting the market. Like, not much has changed in most of the stores I go to on a daily basis uh, over well since my entire lifetime. Um, and, uh, I'm not that young anymore. I'm, I'm over 40. And so I haven't seen change in my life. Like I, I do remember going from the sticker guns when people put price tags on each individual thing, some people still do, uh, but to go into just a more barcode and, and running pricing that way. Aside from that, I haven't really seen innovation there. And I wondered why that was the case. Um, and I, I believe I, that was my hack contribution to the company is, how do we get around that? What is the problem there? And how do, how do we get to, to build tech that actually makes it to market? 
Um, and that's what made me excited as a business person uh, to, to tackle that problem. And I think I've done it. We'll see. Time will tell. It sounds like, I mean, don't get me wrong. It is a challenging industry to um, sort of, you know, pick up where, you know, what we're doing right now is, is you know, has been the norm for quite a, such a long time. You know, as you mentioned throughout this entire conversation, I can imagine the the sheer amount of uh, challenges that people will have to face about changing uh, this disruptive, sorry, I guess introducing this sort of disruptive technology into retailers, especially convincing other people to use it as well. And the thing is that this does not, this is not just a software-based service. You guys are offering hardware as well. And for them to install cameras in their store and then, you know, especially with digital privacy and all that stuff, it becomes a bit challenging uh, not just in the US, but in also other parts of Europe where I think they're very, very stringent on privacy and being able to walk in and knowing that you're on camera. But even though standards intentions are, um, you know, they're, they're good and they want to make sure that you have the best experience, me as a consumer can't really guarantee what those intentions are. They might be nefarious or whatever reasons. And I think it's really convincing the population about that we are here to do good for you. We want to improve your experience. And I think that's a, more of a social challenge than anything. Absolutely. Um, the, the, the discussion with the consumers really hasn't taken off yet. And uh, this is an area that we've always been anticipating for since we started the company um, of how that dialogue is going to be done. So we, we just brought in, uh, you, you met him, uh, Alex Plant, into the company as our VP of marketing, he's going to be tackling this with us. Uh, this is a this is a big challenge. How, how do we explain to people these things? Research shows uh, out of the Blackhawk Network, which is the largest provider of these gift cards. So you know the the Xbox card or the Visa gift card. All, all these things. A lot of it's done through this company called Blackhawk. Um, and their research is that the more transparent you are about what you're doing with people's data. The, the higher your adoption rates are. They had study after study presented and it's very convincing. And I've taken that to the retailers and I said, listen, we, you know, we can help you understand your customers better, but we need to make it extremely clear. Any data that you're saving for any personal individual, we won't sign a contract with you unless you agree that you're going to put a, a big, notice in the app as like not a, not something in the terms of service somewhere tiny it has to be a big splash page with like one sentence on it uh we're collecting your data and, and you're going to benefit it from it in xyz ways uh and you have the right to forget and all these other things and, and you're right to mention europe about that they're very it's a very big point to them um so absolutely i think transparency is the answer i think explaining to them what we're doing and, and having that conversation with the community uh, via the media, uh, folks like you, uh, is going to be really important for us to be able to convince the consumers of that. Um, I think you're exactly right. And I, and I think just adding on top of that, it's not only being transparent, which I, I, I really hope that is the case, but also providing value to them because I know that Google or Facebook I mean, they're scraping so much of your information and you know when you download the app, when you create an account with those guys, you know what you're getting yourself into. You know what sort of data can they collect on your search history, um, who your friends are, your um, sort of your, your taste and preferences. But the reason why you say yes is because one, you have a social network around you. You feel like, you know, that sort of FOMO effect. I want to be a part of it. But most importantly, you provide value. And I think as long as you provide the value and you explain to them, as you said, in very clear terms that, hey, we're doing this, but this is to the benefit of you, then and it's going to make your lives easier, then I personally would probably say yes. You know, I don't mind you collecting information as long as it's not used for other purposes. Then, yeah, absolutely. Right, absolutely. Yeah, and it, and it has to be clear. And um, the, the lucky thing about retail is that it's easy to give people things um, because they're in a store. <laughs> so uh, the brands, for example, uh, all the CPGs are, are, hey, you know, maybe we'll give a buy one, get one promotion. Maybe we'll, 
you know, whatever we can do. Um, you know, I, I've been really impressed and surprised by the kinds and the depth of conversations I've been having with other technology companies, big names that everyone knows, uh, and how they can integrate with this and how they can bring services to people. Uh, and yeah, there's some data involved there, but because we don't use facial recognition, uh, we, we can't tell people that, hey, this person's in the store right now. Um, it's important for us that we, we have these barriers. Trust is going to be uh, the thing that carries the day for us. And I think that the, the market winner here has to build trust, not only with the retailer, uh, but also the consumer market. Well put, well put. Is there, um, just in terms of closing thoughts, um, and just a plug for you guys as well. I know that you guys have a storefront in the city, in San Francisco. Uh, for those who are actually living in this area, do you want to just point to where they can find you and what your opening hours are if they're interested? Yeah. Uh, our store is on Market Street between 6th and 7th Street, um, right, right out front. Uh, we're open Monday through Friday, and it's a convenience store. Uh, there's snacks, there's drinks, there's everything you would expect in a regular convenience store. And our what we've been most excited about is an upcoming relaunch of the store where we're bringing in a whole new designer uh, and, and changing the store format, adding a whole bunch of new items. Uh, and that's coming up in quarter one of, of this of this coming year. So we're very excited about that. But don't don't you don't have to wait to come by. Uh, come by uh, where our store has been growing more and more with the local community. Uh, and we're getting fewer and fewer investors in there, which is the right mix. Uh, we want more locals and less fewer investors. So come on, come on down to the store and uh, say hello to Kiki, who's running uh, the store there. Uh, she is a blast, and so go there just to, just for the conversation. Uh, you don't even need to buy anything. Exactly. Do they do they have to download the app on their phone? Uh, they can. Uh, that's obviously our happy path. We prefer them to, but if they want to pay with cash, we can do that too. Perfect. And uh, in terms of just the company of Standard, are you guys, um, you know, where can they reach you? Is it through LinkedIn? Are you looking to hire at the moment? Yeah. So uh, 2021 is going to represent a big hiring year for us. We're going to be hiring in all departments. Uh, we're putting together those plans now, but feel free to reach out uh, to jobs at standard.ai um, for that side of it. If you're just interested in questions or you're from industry, uh, feel free to just email to info at standard.ai and that will get to the appropriate person, I promise. Um, um, oftentimes that's just to me, <laughs> uh, especially for the, the, the partnership side of the, of the house. Perfect. Well, thank you. Uh, thanks, Mike. I really appreciate you coming on to the, uh, to the show today. And I definitely learned a lot and I hope that people who listen to this, people who watch it, um, are going to get excited about what technologies you have to bring to the industry. I think uh, this is game-changing and very disruptive, And but uh, I really hope uh, that you guys uh, crush it in 2021. And uh, if everything goes well and you guys start to expand, I'm, I would love to do a round two with you guys and to see where you guys are at. Great. Maybe uh, Store 100. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Barry. Thanks for the time. I had a great time today. Thank you.